is the program with Hallelujah from Hit the Deck. Reading. This is Reading Roulette, the world's only choose-your-own-adventure literary podcast. Hosted by Brian Ward. And I'm Bill Lyon. And this week, choose-your-own-adventure number four, Space and Beyond, by R.A. Montgomery. This is part two of two. Choose-your-own-adventure podcast. There's nothing cooler than that. I'm sorry this is happening. Yeah, so this week, choose your own adventure number four, Space and Beyond by R.A. Montgomery. Epic shit show. Oh, God. Epic shit show. Oh, God. That's the way I feel about him, sir. I can't say the word mechanical. I'm having a hard time. Bullshit and mechanical. After some bullshit mechanical failures on your spaceship, behold, a black hole. Either go into it or succumb to nihilism. Your hair stands up and you lose blood. It was all a dream, computer dream. Become old and young changeling. Believe in the future. Read your past lives in a book that smells like sagebrush. Die somehow. See the Big Bang. Oh shit, it's Earth. Brian, Black Hole, I think, is the the emotional heart of this book. It's a metaphor within a metaphor, outside of a metaphor, without a metaphor. I don't think it's a metaphor. I think it's just literally like a fucking black hole. You'll never come back. There's a lot of stuff with this black hole that's really interesting, but... One of these narrative dead ends. I'm finding you $50. Now suck in your shin. You go into this black hole. You go into it. Your spaceship flies into the black hole. What's going to happen in this fantastical fantasy book? Anything could happen. What is going to be in this black hole? Adventures in time and space. Starts out even really great. It's in this thousand light year prism world. Mm -hmm. Wow. All right. Tell me more. Don't give up. Try everything we can. Quick. Put up the energy repulsion shields. It is Murma talking. He is two years older and has traveled widely in space. What do you think will happen to us, Murma? One never knows, he replies. With a shudder, the pod is suddenly grasped by the gravitational field, and you find yourself hurling into a tunnel-like void. A black hole might seem black to the observer from outside because no light can possibly escape its gravitational field, but all the light and the energy is contained within this space. The tunnel is brilliantly lit, but strangely, the intense light does not hurt your eyes. Then you are in a giant room. No, it is not a room. It is actually the interior of the black hole. It is a gigantic prism, thousands of miles across. It is a world unto itself. You are no longer frightened and you and Murma leave your space pod to begin a new life in a new world. The new world is peaceful and the people are friendly and eager to welcome you and Murma. No one is in a hurry and work is pleasant. There is food and housing for all. It's a good world. It's a good world and you find a good job. It's a good world. You get a job. What? 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 You go into a black hole and you get a job. What kind of a job? It's a good job and it's a good life. What? 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 How? What are you talking about? It's madness. It's absolute madness. Which is something that I have grown to love about this book. <laughs> so that's, that's a, I understand why that's so horrible from a reader's standpoint. It's just death in a book. Why didn't you kill all of us this morning? Total refusal to describe anything or to come upon these grand statements. No part of and it's just. Summarize them with the blandest descriptions. 
it's endearing to me in this way that it's just totally unique in it, literature. It's an achievement. It is, it is. This is an achievement in literature. I agree. When it's all over, you'll still be alive. But now something much more colorful. Literally? Well, you don't know because he never describes it. But it's a really cool idea. Did you ever look this up if there's actually such a thing as light islands? You could get drunk on it. The light island appears as a haven for you, and your space pod comes to rest gently in the warm radiance. You leave the space pod and are greeted by a group of six creatures who, before your eyes, change age and features, transforming from babies to old people. It is more than you can understand. It's frightening. It is watching the past become the present and the present turn into the future. It is a kaleidoscope of life, endlessly repeating the cycle of birth and death. You realize that it's beginning to happen to you as well. You look down at your hands and they are small and pink. Baby's hands. Before your very eyes, they grow and change color and texture. A rush of time and experience engulfs you. It is not unpleasant, but you have no control over it. Then you are horrified to see the wrinkled skin and dark liver spots of old age appear on your hands. No! And beyond. I love just seeing the word baby's hands. After a hyphen. Pink baby. Yeah, baby's hands. Something's wrong about that. I don't know, but that is probably maybe the most well-written part of this book. Yes, it's, it's, it's some really fine. cool stuff. Baby's hands. But then the next choice. Do you believe in the future? I don't know why they insist on asking you to reaffirm your beliefs. Do you think there's anything behind that? Is any message? Oh my God. I mean, okay, so a lot of this book reminds me of somebody trying to trick you, right? And they take that as good writing. You can see behind these weird choices that he gives you where he describes something and then you get to the next page, the next logical conclusion, and he's not going to give you the logical conclusion because <laughs> he's such a creative writer and he frustrates your plans at every turn and he thinks he's being creative, but instead he's just writing a bad story. I see what you're saying. And you really think it's just a purposely frustrating? I think it's not even purposefully bad. It's just this weird disconnect. It's like an inability to be an author. <laughs> Perfect. An old 19th century poet. He wrote a poem. So how about just this light island in general as a concept, not, you know, thinking about him as a writer, like, it's kind of cool to think about. I love uh, be the light island. Becoming old amazing. and young at the same time. There's so many cool things about black holes, and a light yeah. island is like another awesome spin on that that I don't think I've ever heard or seen anywhere else. Would you do this? If I was like, Brian, right now, you could have your life continue as it is, or you could go to this very risky, crazy light island where you could become a baby or become an old person all at once. Or if I believed that I could. You think uh, life in America right now, or would you go to the light island? The light island sounds awesome. I agree. I'd yeah. do it. When you go through this light island, this whole process of passing through, you eventually come out into this future where you find a, a book. In an enormous, dimly lit room, a small light rests on a table. You know that you must go to the table. There is a faint smell of sagebrush, a plant found on some deserts on the planet Earth. A voice instructs you to open a book on the table. There is no book. And then it appears. It is a history of your past lives for six million years. You are staggered by the great number of lives you have lived. Sea captain, space pilot, wife of a slave, king. You have been poor and rich, married to beautiful women, Plain women, nice ones, kind ones, and others. You've been a success and a failure many times over. You've been happy and miserable. Only twice in all that time were you bored. Hey, wait a minute. 
I thought I was going into the future. That's what I agreed to, you guys. Come on now. An agreement's an agreement. The past is also the future. You have much to learn. Look to what you have learned. Then the future will reveal itself. Oh, man, that's... That's fucking priceless, man. I mean, it starts out with this riff on reincarnation, and you're like, this is kind of cool. And then it gets insanely misogynistic. Like, even before that. There's a table. You know you must go to it. There's no book. And then there is a book. That's like literally this whole book in a nutshell. If that book ended up being Space and Beyond, it would be the perfect thing, because that's exactly <laughs> the way that everything functions in this book. And then the this shift in tone oh behind like this uh, sagebrush and reincarnation, six million years past lives, and then all of a sudden, you're like this doofus dialogue. Hey, wait a minute, I thought I was going to the future. That's what I agreed to, you guys. He says, you guys. You guys, come on now. You're like Chunk from like, uh, uh you guys. yeah, from Goonies. He's it's like, what the hell? Ah, uh, these, these number of lives that you lived, did you notice? He sets it up, Sea Captain, that's book number two. Yeah. Then Space Pilot, the book you're reading right now, number yeah, four. Yeah, good point. Why did they never get Wife of a Slave? Choose your own adventure Choose your five, Wife of a wife Slave. Of a... <laughs> Imagine that. Whoa, whoa. Imagine how tone deaf that book would be. Now grab a shovel, start digging. Ari Montgomery's fantasies, you have beautiful women. Plain women, I fucking love this list. Nice women, kind ones, <laughs> and others. That's, I love this. Yes. I think it's one of those acts of misogyny where you think you're being kind to women by yeah. not saying ugly. He's like, I'm not gonna say the word ugly. I'm too much of a gentleman. But he's obviously just, just judging women here entirely based on how they look. And that's like the only notable thing about yeah, them. Yeah, that's the main criteria. It's crazy. Right. It's so crazy. Every utterance that this guy makes just makes him more insane. It, insane. And yeah, maybe the captain thinks I'm too nice to be blown to bits. He wants my death to be clean. So there's an insane ending in this black hole section. It's very short. It goes like this. It's just a lot of talk. You have heard this tale before. You can't waste your time on them. Maybe you can find your way back out of this crazy mess. Past and future are the same. Bunk. But there is no way out. At least it appears that way the end. That's madness. Insanity. Okay, so this is a Montguffin. When a narrator slips between third-person omniscience, second-person personal, and first-person psychotic within a few brief sentences. And I like to call this tripolar disorder. <laughs> it's a feat. Listen to it again. It's an accomplishment. He does all of them. It's just a lot of talk. You have heard this tale before. You can't waste your time on them. Maybe you can find your way back out of this crazy mess. Past and future the same, bunk. That's like, that's first person that. there. Bunk. That's first person, right? Because it's your, it's as if you're thinking that. Yeah, yeah. But just before that, he's in second person. Maybe you can find your way back out of this. And then he goes into third person narrator. But there is no way out. He's telling you as an omniscient narrator, but there is no way out. At least it appears that way. That he's not an omniscient narrator. It is crazy. He switches tenses like maybe you could, if you wanted to argue it, this could be like five possible tenses in, in a few, this, I can't stress how short this is in the book. It's a children's book, it's small, and it takes up like a, less than a quarter of the page. And it has no relation to anything that to came anything. before it. It's just this total non sequitur. He just starts that with, it's just a lot of talk. 
You have heard this tale before. You can't waste your time on them. Who are them? I don't even know. And you could almost spin the wheel, and it would come up with, there's a new way, a way called oh, sure. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. That doesn't change what I've got to do. All right, Brian, this uh, painful section of the book, I found this the most painful, I call half-object, half-life form. Yeah, R.A. Montgomery, the Hercules of boredom. Here we go. <laughs> After some bullshit mechanical failures on your spaceship, a poorly described giant space amoeba invades your ship. Endlessly belabor whether or not to shoot this space blob with a laser gun. Killing it emits beautiful music. Help the blob steal souls. Enjoy killing. Get plasma for, quote, thought generators. A curse? Huh? Revenge? Kill the blob again. Kill the blob yet again and feel lonely. Share energy equals good. Energy drain equals bad. Attacked by poorly described robot arm. Hamburgers but in space. Fly into the sun for no reason. Join the US Army for 12 seconds. Politicians are bad. Killed by the concept of studenthood. Become king of specimen collecting. War is bad. Triangle, flying V of spaceships. Kill blob again. Pirates are bad. Become a pirate for one and a half sentences. Oh God, Brian. This half object, half life form thing is crazy. We're not safe yet. <laughs> oh, man. And those guys have problems, too. They're looking for you to help? Holy shit, did they find the wrong dumbass. Ah, so you encounter these weird blobs that he wants to defy all previous human writing, R.A., here, and give you this weird alien that is beyond description and definitely beyond his powers of description, and you try to figure out what it is as it kind of invades your spaceship, and you're, like, deciding, do I want to befriend this thing? Do I want to kill it? What's mm -hmm. up? Ugh. Oh. You're talking about this thing that has no character. Of course not. It's, it's in this book. <laughs> you have to decide about how you feel about something that elicits no response. response. So the very first thing I did was to try and kill it as mercilessly and brutally as I could. Sure. Which, which is funny, too, because... Forming a triangular force, group of spacecrafts, you accelerate to maximum speed and search the immediate galactic space for the odd spacecraft and its inhabitants. The scanning devices of all ships are tuned to the wrong frequency. You realize that these creatures will not give off life-type response signals, nor will their craft respond in the normal fashion to radar probes. Their craft is a soft, gelatinous mass capable of absorbing the energy of the radar probe and storing that energy for its own use. Any radar probe will not bounce back to your screens. It will simply be lost. Then you see it, just by the luck of your intuition. It lies directly ahead. The triangle battle group forms, slows, and concentrates its multiple power on the odd craft. With a gulping slurch, the strange ship erupts and dematerializes. Well done. You aren't really sure. Yeah, that's it. That's at the end. Oh, you spend, God. for some reason, you go all across space and you decide, I want to take revenge on these blobs. I'll kill them off. And then you do. And then you don't know if you wanted to do it or not. You would think if you spend all that time going around space just to kill these things, at least have the satisfaction of doing it. Yes. That like, eh. Oh, God. Oh, just I, that feeling in my solar plexus. I talk my, my third chakra is just in pain right now, Brian. You ever see Star Trek Voyager, the one with the uh, Captain Janeway? It's like, no. it's the worst Star Trek. It's so, it's like this. It's like all these episodes of just, because the whole point of this Star Trek Voyager, you're lost in space. Okay. But in this part of space where there's nothing and there's entire episodes that are just like they're just there's lost nothing. and they go so bored because there's nothing and they're like oh, the crew is turning against each other it's 
I can't imagine a more boring thing than this. <laughs> yeah, this is brutal. In an hour, you'll be dead. So you get into these protracted negotiations with these blobs. Hella protracted. Uh, yeah, which is about as much fun as like talking to your shoe, right? Yep. No. They need some sort of human body to get them out of their gelatinous state, and they just stumble upon, you know, your dumbass. So what happens is you're you're discussing this <laughs> with with them, and then a sound appears for some reason. Oh God, he doesn't even describe why it just happens. Yeah. Oh. The sound increases in intensity. It actually changes in pitch, and suddenly the energy in the sound transforms into light. The entire area is bathed in beautiful colors that radiate warmth and positive force. The light seems to unify everything around you. There is a strong, pleasant feeling, and then there is a quick pulsation, and you jump into hyperspace with a rush almost unbelievable in its intensity. Oh the light serves as the vehicle carrying you and these unknown creatures on a journey toward an unknown place. Wow, something, something fucking happened all of a sudden. Like, non-ironically cool. I feel like you're trying to sell me something right now, Brian. I like I almost zoned out while you were, while you were reading that. Are you serious? That. Really? Well, oh. we didn't read all of the bullshit with these blobs before oh. that. It's almost a narrative rescue. Yeah, I'm. I don't know what I'm doing with these blobs. You know what? You hear a sound, and all of a sudden, you're in hyperspace. Fine, thank God. And then I'll pick you off one by one. Here's just a philosophical question. This is kind of sophomoric, but he says they're you know half object, half life form. Mm -hmm. Isn't that just called a life form? And I'll kill them too. What's the fucking difference? It either has life or it doesn't, right? There isn't such a thing. Isn't that called a plant? I'm lucky I live to be 60. It's like almost when they talk about like, is a virus really alive? But these things, they have some kind of sentience. They're trying to communicate. They have feelings. They want self-preservation. They're fucking alive. Just what the hell? This is some total bullshit. Do you think this is some sort of strange, abstract, pro-life, pro-choice? Oh my God, maybe. He has some kind of views here, some kind of agenda. Who knows what it is? My favorite thing about this book is his love of sharing. So, of course, you're shuttling down hyperspace with some gelatinous blobs that you just hooked up with. You're going to want to share. It's your common denominator. <laughs> After all the trouble, both you and they realize that sharing, even though that seems impossible, is probably the only way. Too much is lost in the fighting. The universe governing body has always tried to promote sharing, but it seldom works. Here is the chance. Now is the time. You join sides to promote the sharing of energy throughout the galaxies. What the fuck is the universe governing body? <laughs> and why? You're in hyperspace. All of a sudden, sharing? You have to come up with some sort of idea about sharing? What are you even doing? What's happening? Sharing what? When were you not sharing? This is a total hijack What do you have of to share? Sense? I don't even know. A hijack of common sense. Absolutely. Alone in the moonlight by the light of the moon. I hated that at first with a thousand phone-on three-sun passions. Now I whoa, kind of these, into it. These endings. Are you starting to turn now that you've been exposed to this long enough? I mean, it's what I said at the beginning. I have a little Stockholm syndrome with this book. Yeah, exactly. exactly. So now, if that wasn't great enough, the alternate spin on this whole plot strand, the other way that this is going to satisfy itself is... The universe governing body has serious news. There is a major energy drain throughout all galaxies. No one has been able to identify the cause of the loss of energy, but there is a shutting down of systems in all quadrants. Transportation, communication, life support, 
all systems. It is as though a giant battery were drained and growing weaker by the minute. You are all on your own now. No idea. You're a kid with a spaceship. <laughs> so one second, you're going to try and find your instantly forgotten father's home planet. For instantly no forgotten. Then you're talking with these gelatinous blobs because you suck as a space explorer. You hear a sound. You're hijacked into hyperspace. Then all of a sudden, all energy in the universe is drained. You're on your own. And that's, and that's the end? Wow. I hate it and love it. <laughs> Like, I definitely love to hate it, I think. I don't know if I hate it more or love it more. Why didn't he come and talk to me? I don't think that's an audacious move. I think it's just an insane move. Yeah, he is insane. It's not some kind of creative person breaking the rules. Uh -uh. It's an insane person being insane. <laughs> <laughs> He's a crackpot anyway. Well, here's another insane part in this section. Mm -hmm. And it, to me, is a MacGuffin. Stars are masses of extremely hot gases which emit energy in the form of exploding atomic particles. The violence of their continual nuclear reactions is unbelievable. Why in the world would you want to go on a mission to penetrate such a world? But that is what you have chosen to do. Brian, this happens all the time in this book. He gives you an option, you choose the option, and then he tells you how stupid the option is that you've chosen and how stupid the alternative was. Complaining about your own narrative within your own narrative, omitting the hypocrisy of such an action, I call that hypocrisy story. This section has another horrible foul in it in the following paragraph. It says um, th there's this alien race that if they achieve this objective, will call themselves, capital S, Siore. And then he puts in parentheses after it, heroes, because it's Siore spelled backwards. In order to create an imaginary proper noun for an imaginary world, a writer simply spells an English word backwards, the very word intended. To make matters worse, the writer immediately draws attention to his own literary crime by a parenthetical aside of the English word spelled forwards as if it should impress the reader with the writer's cleverness. I call this Han Solo reverse cowgirl. Finally, Brian, there's another foul in this. Uh, I'd love to see what a Google search comes up. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds kind of fun, I'm not going to lie. Uh, there's this for final MacGuffin here an absolute clusterfuck of paragraphs. And that's saying something in this book. Oh, God. So, now, you are in command. Does that feel good? No? Lonely, perhaps? No? Confusing? Well, being in command probably feels like all those things. It's in your hands. Get on with it. That was all. That was all narration. I, I love that, that wasn't dialogue. Okay, so that is a clear Montguffin. I'm defining it like this. In an act of senility or madness, a narrator asks the reader how he is feeling and, predictably, not getting a response, grows angry with the reader for his insensibility, demanding he grow a pair and get a hold of himself. I call that badgering a mute witness. <laughs> Don't you love that? Reading that paragraph, obviously it's terrible. It's just completely <laughs> insane. But I mean, come on. <laughs> Something in your heart is just radiating here. Uh, 
finally, there's just a crazy description in here. Like silly putty on a tennis ball. Oh yeah, Brian, that's my favorite. It you know, like out. the turn of phrase. I don't go a week without hearing that. You know, that, that is just, <laughs> just part of the lexicon now. I don't even know. Does silly putty stick to a tennis ball? No How am I supposed to know that? How is anyone supposed to know that? It's no use, I can't do it. There's a section on pirates in this where you never actually get to be a pirate. It's like, become a pirate, you think this is so cool, and then he right away you're like, well, you've decided to become a pirate, and guess what? Money is worthless, yeah. so all the money you stole doesn't help you out. Just trying to do that thing I described earlier, tricking you yeah. as soon as you make your choice. And what a missed opportunity, too. Space, space pirates. Space pirates. I'm into it. I'm a kid. I'm 10 years old. Give me space pirates. <laughs> this whole book, if this book instead was called Space Pirates, and it was just about pirates, but in space, I'd fucking love the shit out of it. It's such an easy thing to write. I would still probably read Baby's Hands over Space Pirates, but they're both great ideas. You got some serious Stockholm Syndrome, Brian. I'll play an old reel of Martian music that must be at least 50,000 years old, a kind of music you've never heard in your life. That sounds wonderful. I guess I'm the number one apologist for this book, but really, this 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 sucked, even in my estimation. A spin-off. This is like you know everybody loves a great spin-off show, right? <laughs> so this is kind of the spin-off of the Blob narrative. They want you to uh, do some more uh, dicking around on their behalf. You end up on a an Earth planet. It's called Oregon. This was like some pseudoscience in the 60s or 70s. Orgasmic energy. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. So, of course, Ari Montgomery always hip with the shag carpet and the Oregon accumulator and the back porch. Sure. You know, he names his planet in that honor. But there's some really distasteful descriptions about your your baffled character watching people like shoving these fucked up discs in their mouth. I remember thinking they were donuts or cereal. We were thinking they were hamburgers or something. Is that what we did? Is that what we did? Yeah, well, I think I pointed out to you. I think it's clearly hamburgers because he says like you point like you put a yellow jelly-like substance onto them and they have green little circles inside. It's like clearly a hamburger. Yeah, but earlier he was talking about them eating out of bowls and shit like that. Sure, sure. I think as just a, a stupid kid reader, I need him to spell like ham for me to understand what his, you know, crazy logic is. I'm like, oh, of course. I see. That's always been one of my most hated things. Like, I, I felt like I saw this all the time in, like, creative writing crap when mm. I was in, you know, like, uh, younger. Lines crossing. There would be an assignment, like, write something as if you're a, an alien seeing Earth for the Brain first time. And you'd say, you know, that's, that's some of the worst writing you can do as a human being, you know? They drive these square-like things around holding a circular wheel what, that how, they why, use for when? directing themselves. Like you just try to not say the word steering, you know? <laughs> oh, it's exactly what he, he does it like nine times in this book. I think that's what he's doing here with this Oregon crap. And you encounter a politician and a student. <laughs> Worse than the Nuremberg trials is, is his description of these. You're kidnapped by a student or a politician. Doesn't he just stop and you're arrested? It's so bizarre. It's like he just steps in front of you and it says, you're trapped yeah. forever. But it's like a 1970s like dissident student, like protesting the Vietnam War kind of student. And in this illustration, the, the politician looks like a carnival barker. Got this weird, you know, coat with the long tails. Uh, it's just like this nonsensical uncle's ranting. I, I, I kind of wanted to blow past this bill, but uh, these, these two things are just so... Crazy, and on their own they're bizarre, but especially in a book called Space and Beyond. This is a science fiction book about exploring, like, about nothing. Anyways, yeah, so then you get this 
weird diatribe by a person with no political opinions. <laughs> well, well, he has some opinions. He's like working them out in a children's science fiction book and coming up with no conclusions. But he seems very authoritative about these non-opinions. He yeah, has. he's very sure about what he doesn't know and hasn't cemented his, his ideas about. Thus... Okay, student, tell me about yourself. What is a student anyway? The student is relaxed. At least he's out of school and he isn't really afraid of you. Well, I don't know. Being a student is like being a prisoner. Everyone is always telling you what to do, where to go, what not to say, and you always get yelled at. It's a bummer. You're shocked by what he says. After all, you enjoyed learning things. You ask, isn't there anything good about being a student? Well, vacations, and you usually don't have to do much. You can get by. Are you dangerous, you ask? No, they only think so. We aren't. Suddenly the student leaps up and grabs you by the arms. You are tied up. Now you are his prisoner. He says, see how you like it? I'm calling the authorities. He makes the call, and soon you are carried away by uniformed men. You will be the object of study for years to come. Your freedom is gone forever. What the fuck kind of- Incredible. I'm like sweating from that. It made me so uncomfortable how bad that writing is. It just makes me really uncomfortable, Brian. Like, I, I feel like I'm in a room with a madman. I hear you. How, how awful the writing is. I hear you. The insane position right. he's taking at the beginning of the Reagan era to yeah. just rage against hippies all of a sudden. Right, he's like against dirty hippies in 1980 as if they're gonna attack people. I don't even know what's going on here. It's crazy. Bigs had DTs. And then you become the object of study that you enjoyed, and now you're a prisoner to your own, um, I don't even know. What are you a prisoner? What is, what is he even saying there? I don't know, but this book says the word laser in it. Like, <laughs> uh, what did I count, 15 times? Where's your laser Where's go? your laser now? <laughs> What's the difference? The politician doesn't get much better. A politician? What is that, you ask? The person hems and haws. Then the person begins to speak. A politician serves the people and helps them make the right choices. We are very, very, very important. Why, without us, there would be no problems. I, I mean, without us, problems would not appear to be so large. I, I mean, well, I mean, we create more problems than we solve, and that is how we stay in office, because someone has to solve them. The politician begins to smile. He acts very friendly and says, hey, wait a minute. You're from another planet. We could become famous, you and I. Think of it. The whole world will want to see you and hear all about it. I'll be your manager. We'll make a bundle. You get out of there as fast as you can. You want no part of this freak show. But as you try to leave, he blocks the way and you are caught. You remain on Earth as a curiosity from outer space. Oh, God. You want no part of this freak show. Oh God. Oh God. oh God, oh God. The weird part to me is the, but as you try to leave, he blocks the way and you are caught. You have a laser. You have a laser gun. Well, as you know, whenever a politician's in your way, you're instantly you're overmatched. <laughs> 
Yeah. And he's all of a sudden like P.T. Barnum. He's like, I mean, if this guy's a politician, you know what I mean? He's yeah. like grifting the world for like millions of dollars. And then all of a sudden he just wants to be your manager. It has nothing to do with science fiction or space. It's just the weakest political satire I've ever heard. It is so weak. Science fiction, in my mind, is aspirational. Mm. You're trying to find the last vestiges of personal freedom by going into outer space and sure. like finding yourself you know, outside. And then you get these very extremely earthbound myopic viewpoints <laughs> tucked away at the end of this crazy book. Listen. You hear this? There's no pages left in this book. This is the end here. <laughs> the fitting conclusion. To a tome of insanity. It's been a long trip. It makes, it makes no, no sense, sense, but it, but it makes, makes absolute sense. Remember that movie Space Camp? Oh man. You want no part of this freak show. You decide quickly. A space circus sounds crazy. But then the whole idea of wandering around galaxies looking for your home planet is crazy too. You meet the leader, Uxod, who can only be described as a totally normal looking earth type with red beer, huge grin, the body of a giant, and a laugh and warmth that makes you feel at home. Welcome, we need a new thing. Welcome to the greatest show in the universe. But what can I do? Don't worry, my friend, we will find you work. There is no problem there. So you join this group of creatures, some earth types, others like nothing you've ever seen. The array of odd spaceships hurdles through space, stopping at the odd planet or convenient space station, or just drifting in the void. Your special job is to be the trainer of high energy particles and quarks, making them do tricks. You like quarks, and they seem to like you too. You never get to phone on, but you no longer care. Tell me more about this space circus. Oh yeah, you can't, because he doesn't. A space circus sounds crazy. I think, Brian, this is a MacGuffin. When a narrator insults his own unnecessary plot twist while simultaneously insulting his own original plot, <laughs> however, is a third and most glaring literary crime, outright lies to the reader's face as to the nature of the original plot. Do you have a name for this? <sighs> I'm going with maybe a Lyris X Montgomery. <laughs> Space genocide. You got a problem with that? <laughs> I mean, he tells you a space circus sounds crazy, doesn't it? Which is what you chose. Yes. So he's telling you already your choice that he made up is crazy. You chose that? What are you crazy? Yeah, what are you crazy? He's crazy. I feel like. But then, the whole idea of wandering around galaxies looking for your home planet is crazy too. You were never looking for your home planet. You were looking for a new home because you weren't a citizen of anywhere. That's like the first freaking page of the book. You were born in a space station in outer space looking for a planet possibly of your mothers and fathers. You're not looking for a home planet. It's just an outright freaking lie. I don't even know why you need to go there. Did we ever discuss this? Is this like, like some Roman census where you need to go back to your home planet right. to become a citizen? Why don't you just choose? I don't know. Why isn't it easier just to get to a planet? There's like all these spaceships. Why can't you just get to a planet? They don't have planets. Like well, you know, they have laser highways. I don't know why you just don't take a laser highway to somewhere. Anywhere you go after your maiden voyage as a space patroller, straight into a black hole, or you get shanghaied by some gelatinous blob. Now, another crazy thing in the circus section is this line of dialogue. Welcome. We need a new thing. Welcome to the greatest show in the universe. What is that? It's like three, so this is a Montgomery to me. 
dialogue sandwiched between two hyperbolic interjections that indirectly contradicts both in tone and essential meaning said hyperbolic interjections. And I call this triple stuperbole. It's like hyperbole, but it's stupid. Do you want to fight what's happening or go along with it? This we need a new thing. Welcome. We need a new thing. Welcome to the greatest show in the universe. Why? We need a new thing? You see this like in really bad children's literature all the time. Sure, but you would say that second. You would say, welcome to the circus. And then he brings you into his tent and confesses to you, we need a new act. You got anything, You don't have time. He's he's traveling through the universe on laser highways. He's a busy busy guy. Oh, my God. But don't you you think if it was just a crappy run-of-the-mill bad book, it would just be easy to dismiss. But it's so rich. Rich. That you can luxuriate in this madness. Yes. It's very giving in spite of itself. I'll kill you all off. Multiple, Multiple levels. There's depth to this insanity. You got the eight, Jackie. Sawdust. It's like a drunk throwing a dart. I think he fucking hit this weird pinpoint, this like space ball of uniqueness. Yeah, as we said at the beginning, you almost have to create a new vocabulary to describe this level of bad because it doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. Yeah, it's the kind of engineering we couldn't duplicate on Earth. Here's a, I'm not gonna describe this Montguffin, but just some of the names that we've come up with, I came up with that, uh, if the mountain won't come to Montgomery, (laughs) the play was canceled, but well attended. And, uh, Finally, what I think describes what you were just talking about, Brian. Yeah. The image of Citizen Kane at the opera clapping. You know what I'm talking oh, about. Yeah. You know, where you know, she's singing and she's failing, and he's up there just making sure everybody knows it's good. Oh. And so what? I think you are Citizen Kane here. <laughs> and I think Ara Montgomery is your mistress. Rosebud would have to be the mother's necklace in this case, right? I think so. These violent deaths are brought to you by Wolf's Bakery. Wolf's Bakery, home of the lemon fluff. Since 1939, Wolf's Bakery has been serving its delicious signature lightly whipped lemon chiffon cake with a airy, whipped custard filling and icing. Wolfsbakery.net, get your lemon fluff cake. Violent deaths. Shockwave, nuclear holocaust, plant slash animal slash human ethnic cleansing, normal genocide, quarantine, nihilistic black hole, burn to death inside the sun, black hole and implied laser. That's it. Lower than the normal amount of violent deaths. But there are 14 plus one abuses of the word laser. (laughs) And many abuses of the English language. 
I'd like to read these lasers. Blood. Gallery of uh, a laserium. Laser radio. Laser beam out of the radar oven and into the laser spreading devices. The laser will eradicate all life forms. A laser pistol. The laser beams. Laser rocket weapons. The energy source for the lasers. Laser cannon shots. Laser beam highways. Laser pistol. Whammo. The laser beam hits. Deactivate laser cannon. Laser weapons. Laser beam shots. Thank you. Bill, did you have a, a favorite choice in this uh, space and beyond? I think I really like the uh, Space Academy. Choose to go to Space Academy or knowledge within yourself. I think it's uh, people who have been burdened with student loans and, uh, you know. I want you to party. Yes, sir. I want you to party. Yes, sir. How about a fire? You're an archaeologist. How about a fire? You're dead. 21st century American uh, millennialism. Uh, I really identified with that, and I, I wish I personally had chosen to search for the knowledge within myself instead of going to the space academy that is a worthless bachelor's degree. I have to. That's right. Get a hold of yourself. You didn't see those bodies, Captain. I'm going to have to go with you on that one, too. I like the immunity. Hmm. I liked the six different choices of to believe in the future or not. I thought that was kind of cool, but that was definitely my favorite. What about a, um, a favorite ending? For me, I think it was the uh, Natural Cures one, where you're uh, hanging out in the moonlight. The yeah, three moons. under the, under the three moons. I enjoyed with that. With all your uh, plague victim friends. <laughs> Oh, God. I think my... Uh... Can, I, can I cheat a little bit here? Please. Okay, I'm going to say that even though this wasn't technically an ending... Oh, what? Bill, I totally forgot my favorite choice. I'm going to have to hit the time erase button oh, and, and go back and pick my Veloci Velociraptor Claw erase time choice. Yeah. Which leads up to my... I think of it as the narrative climax of this book. You're a Velociraptor just hurtling back in time, screaming that you can't stand it. It's oh. like the primal scream in the middle of... This galactic fucking around. I love it. I love it. There's nothing cooler than that. So where do you think this stacks up in the Pantheon? We're going to have to get a little further, I think, until we get into, you know, maybe we've done 20 of these or so. I think after 10, let's come back and revisit, you know, kind of some winners and losers. Mm -hmm. But, uh, I mean, I think that R.A. Montgomery, from my memory of these books, mm -hmm. kind of gets better in the sense that maybe someone else is in charge of like editing his books and they're not as crazy as this and I think they're just more technically proficient yeah. I remember him just being extremely yeah. boring like writing about motorcycles mm -hmm. ad nauseum or whatever the subject is but so I think this might be uniquely horrible in all the choose your own adventures we just don't have the hindsight right now to know how bad this book truly is in comparison to the other ones yeah we're to gauge on the spectrum I definitely remember a workman like Insanity. Yeah. Where this is more of a total, you know, unbridled vomit, a multi-headed organism vomiting in all directions <laughs> at different times. Simultaneously. I have never read anything like this. The first time I read it, I unequivocally thought this is the worst book I've ever read in my entire life. I hate this book more than anything I've ever read in my life. A civilization died here. And I will violently declare this to anyone that will listen. It would drive me mad. 
I, I softened up. I started to uh, feel for my captor mm-hmm. a little bit. You know, <laughs> My position changed in that I never hated a book more in my life. That turned into I never really went on an experience like this. No book ever gave me this experience. <laughs> it's so true. It's so hard to sum up what I feel. <laughs> There's so many quotes or so many things that I know we wanted to talk about. And basically every page when you read this book, there's some weird thing or some just baffling piece of dialogue or just narrative hijinks or just, just, you know, just, I don't even know how to summarize this. You just have to see for yourself. Like you will never understand what this book is like unless you've gone through this journey. Is that, is that fair to say? One of my, um, I think unmentioned, uh, Montguffins, I think I called it dad lighting. It was like gaslighting. Yep. This whole book feels like gaslighting, but I agree with you. There is nothing like this book. You know, the way you're describing it reminds me of, uh, I, I think in my childhood once I went to that place with the uh, where the train delivers your food, you know, it was oh, coming. Oh, yeah, yeah, and the mall was like a hamburger place, Snackville right? Junction. Yeah, that's yeah. it. But uh, while I was there, two of the cooks quit and, like, walked <laughs> off the job in anger, and the train was kind of, there was, like, chaos with the train, and, like, nobody knew whose food was going. And I was there with my family, and we waited forever to get our meal, you know, and we're getting angry, yeah. you know? I'm like a kid. Where's my hamburger? Where's my round disc I can put yeah. in my mouth? My mom's getting upset. My little baby brother's crying. But my dad is just kind of like almost like, ah, this is another chance. You, I think you could smoke inside that. And he's like enjoying okay, it. Yeah. He's like, just chill, guys. It's fine. Well, we're there for like three and a half hours. <laughs> but we started to enjoy ourselves. After yeah. about like the second hour of not having our food in the cast and watching these different cooks walk off the job, we will always remember that exactly. meal as a family because it was uniquely horrible. And like like a train delivering the wrong food to you, it's just nothing, nothing adds up to the end. Nothing compares to that, you know? Uniquely horrible. Uniquely horrible. Uniquely horrible. This is on a marquee on a hot air balloon flying over. <laughs> uniquely, uniquely horrible. horrible. We... We we're both familiar with things like the room. Yeah, the room, yeah. Or like we were Plan talking about Plan Nine. There's something that's so bad it's good type mm-hmm. thing. With it. This is a different kind exactly. of horrible. This is uniquely horrible. I'd love to explore what that difference is. I don't know. But I feel like a lot of those kind of outsider art type things you're talking about, or just fi- complete failures and train wrecks that are so bad they're good, that have camp factor, mm-hmm. have some kind of happiness, like a crazy campy happiness behind them. Yeah, yeah. And this is like an unemotional, like accountant was forced to come up with something creative and had a nervous breakdown right before your eyes, but denied it to his family and his friends and didn't take any prescription medication or anything to counter it. He just freaked out and lied about it. (laughs) Freak out and a lie to cover up the freak out. Yes. Like I imagine him coming home at night or having the typewriter at home in his office and he's like, wrote some great stuff today, honey. What's for dinner? But inside he's thinking, oh God, oh God, I don't even know. But then he's also lying to himself. He's looking in the mirror. He's like, you got this, R.A. 
You're a writer. You can do this. And like he's telling everyone, this book is really coming along. I love children's literature. This is a great opportunity. Really enjoying working with Edward. And inside he's like, I'm dying. I'm dying. I don't know. But almost like he didn't have the self-awareness to even say that to himself in the, in the darkness of his heart. It was just experienced as a vague feeling. Yeah, it's like a shark. It has to move, you know? Sure. But it, it just has this deadness that still functions, that still moves. But maybe he got trapped in like one of those zoo kind of tanks that, like an aquarium type thing that isn't that big. So he goes kind of crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah like so he never actually eats, like you release him in the wild and he never eats anything. He just kind of starves to death, but somehow gets by. Maladjusted. Maladjusted shark. Space and Beyond. Yeah. By maladjusted shark Gumry. Must have been a shark, I suppose. Now there is one thing to look forward to in our uh, Choose Your Own Adventure reading podcast is the awful book "You Are a Shark," the much maligned "You Are a Shark," possibly the worst book in the canon. Although this one might be first also it's kind of like 1a and, and 1b definitely the strong contender but i don't think there's any way that we can ever say that this is the worst because it's just too unique it's like totally protected it's got diplomatic immunity i think diplomatic <laughs> immunity <laughs> you know, somehow i agree it's yeah creative immunity yeah it's like a um, persona non grata living in some kind of quasi state of citizenship who's committed a terrible heinous war crime in his own country, but you can't extradite him. The Roman Polanski, yes. the choose your own adventure books. Yeah. All the and this has got to sit on the- Its own light island. Exactly. So I'm very excited next week to possibly get to the best book in the canon. Yeah, wow, what a 180. Number five, The Mystery of Chimney Rock, written by Edward Packard, the all-star ace yeah, of the series. A, Sandy Koufax in the World Series. Whew. Can't wait for that to come. I'm excited to read that book and talk awesome. about it, Brian. Chimney Absolutely. Rock. That's Absolutely. a that's a must listen if you're a fan of Choose Your Own Adventure and you listen mm -hmm. to none one of our podcasts. Make sure you listen to that one, Chimney Rock. It's going to be an all timer. I'm so excited. You know, if I had just heard of us doing this, or if I didn't know us, or if I forgot that I was me, mm -hmm. I would listen to the Chimney Rock one first. I so agree. I, Start with Chimney. We're gonna Rock. have to bring our A game next. world of coffee. Nothing cooler than that. Thanks for listening to another episode of Reading Roulette. The world's only choose-your-own-adventure literary podcast. Shoot us an email, readingroulette.podcast at gmail.com or give us a like on Facebook at uh, Reading Roulette Podcast. For Reading Roulette and Brian Ward, I'm Bill Lyon. The last number of the sixth program is a new series. Uh, before we say goodnight, I would like to remind you of goodnight. minute, but we'll be back if they smash the head again. <laughs>